0: In the 16th century, there was a debate about the nature of justification. How can people be justified by God? That is to say, how can people be pardoned for their sin? You may be seated. How may people be pardoned for their sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight? How can people be pardoned for their sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight? Aren't these questions that we can all relate to? Because these are human questions. After all, as humans, we all have a sense that God is good and that we are not good. We all, by nature, deep down, have a sense that something is wrong with our relationship as humans with our Creator. We all have a sense that we need righteousness if we're going to be accepted in God's sight. And we all have a sense that something must be done about the guilt of our sin. By nature, we humans don't like to think about these things, but as the old American novelist Mark Twain said, the statistics are staggering. One out of every one person dies. Mm -hmm. And whether we think about it or not, whether we want to ignore the reality or not, it will happen. We're all going to die. If the Lord should tarry, they're going to put every one of us in the ground Mm -hmm. or send us up in ashes. Every one of us will die. So, we must prepare to meet our Maker. And so, we should all face the question head on then how can people be pardoned for their sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight? How can people be justified? Or, since, as Mark Twain said, one out of every one of us dies, let's make it personal. How can you be accepted as righteous in God's sight and pardoned for your sin? How can I be accepted as righteous in God's sight and pardoned for my sin? In the 16th century, the predominant answer of the church was unsatisfactory, and so some went back to the Bible looking for an answer to these questions. And what they found in the Bible is that a sinful man can only be justified by faith alone in Christ alone I'm going to preach twice this morning, but it's really going to be more like one message in two parts and The big idea of the two messages together will be what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 We know that a person is not justified by works of the law But through faith in Jesus Christ Let me read that again from the Apostles mouth. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is in the middle of a discourse on the relationship of Jews and Gentiles in the church in that section of Galatians, and that's not particularly in our purview this morning. So we're not gonna focus on that aspect of his statement or the context of his statement. But in the middle of Paul's argument, he lays down that truth that I just read for you as axiomatic. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That is a foundational principle upon which he is building his argument. We know that. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In my translation, the ESV, there are 19 words in that phrase. And they are 19 words of crucial crucial importance Mm. and We're going to look at the first 16 words in our first session and then the last three in our second session this morning So right now we're going to look at those first 16 words We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith Let's begin by looking at God's holiness We just say holy 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 That's where we need to start as we come to this question of how can a person be justified before God. We need to understand that God is holy. And there are two senses in which the word holiness appears in Scripture. The first sense is to be set apart. To be set apart for a sacred use or set apart from something else. Holy. And the second sense is moral purity. Mm. To be morally pure morally without blemish and God is indeed set apart when we sing holy 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 we are singing of God's moral purity but we're also singing about how he is unlike any other that we worship someone who is not like us and he's not like the mountains he's not like the sun God is other than his creation he's on the other side of the creature creator distinction God is set apart But what is particularly in view for us this morning as we think of the question of justification is God's moral purity. God is without sin. God is without imperfection. One of the most famous passages in the whole Bible on God's holiness is Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah sees God. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, The first aspect of holiness is plainly in view here, that God is set apart. Even the angels don't look at Him, because He is other, He is glorious, He is transcendent, He is magnificent. And so these angels, these angels cover their eyes at the glory of the Lord. But the second aspect of holiness is also in view, God's moral purity. Because when Isaiah sees God high and lifted up and the angel singing, holy, 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 his response is, woe is me, for I am unclean. Woe is me, for I am unclean. And so obviously Isaiah saw something of God's cleanliness, yeah. as it were, God's moral purity. And Isaiah had the realization that I am standing before a clean God, and I am an unclean man, and so woe is me. Throughout the Bible, the whole Bible, God's moral purity is repeatedly set before us. God acts righteously in the Bible, and God acts justly in the Bible because... God is righteous, God is just. This is crucial, foundational to get into our minds and to get into our hearts. God is holy, God is morally pure. And when we first get a hold of this doctrine, (coughs) when we human beings first get a hold of this doctrine, when it first works its way into our hearts, our response is that of Isaiah. Woe is me. Mm. Anybody and everybody who really gets that God is holy at some point had that sense that Isaiah had. Woe is me. They came under the conviction of their own sinfulness as they beheld the holiness of God. God's holiness condemns sinful man. God's holiness doesn't mix with sinful man. Hebrews 12, 29 refers to God as a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Implying in that context that He is one who burns up sin and wickedness. Like a hot flame licks up everything that gets close to it. Like a forest fire ravages mighty oaks and large trees and burns them up as if they were nothing. So the holiness of God burns up even the biggest and the best of sinful man. Whoever we think we are, when we as sinful beings come before a holy God, our God who is a consuming fire licks us up. Consumes us. And so when we really see. When we really see that God is holy. When we get that in our hearts for the first time. We have that sensation that Isaiah had. I am undone. Mm. Woe is me. For I am unclean. And God is clean. This is a condemning truth to sinful man. But it is a biblical truth. Now, some would object here. And we've we've heard it. Perhaps even at times, some of our hearts have offered this objection: "Yes, but God is love. Yes, but God is love. Yes, He's holy, but He is also loving." And so, it may not be as bad as you say. Well. When people offer this objection, do they mean to say that God's holiness will be tempered by or cancelled out by His love? As if God will be somehow less than holy because God is loving? Is this the line of argumentation that people pursue when they say that God is love in addition to His holiness? As if that somehow modifies God's holiness? Well, I want to respond with a couple points. First of all, I just want to say that that objection denies and destroys holiness. That objection doesn't modify holiness. It dispenses with holiness. Because if the line of argumentation is that God is holy, except when He's loving, then He's not holy at all. If God is prepared to just look the other way from time to time, because because He's loving, God is holy, except when He's loving. God is holy, but He may just look the other way if He loves you. Well, that's not a holy God at all. That's a God who is not holy. And so, by definition, by definition, to argue against God's holiness, or to argue that God's holiness needs to be tempered by God's love or something, that we can't insist that God is absolutely holy because He's love. That just... It's self-defeating and it destroys the very concept of holiness. You might as well come outright and say, I don't believe that God is holy. Because that's what that objection amounts to. Second of all, the scripture flatly refutes such nonsense. Habakkuk one thirteen says that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil. God is of purer eyes than to behold evil. And Exodus 34, 7 says that God will by no means clear the guilty. God will by no means clear the guilty. No. Get this in your mind and in your heart. God's holiness is not tempered by His love. God's holiness is absolute and unyielding. And God's love will not be expressed in an unholy manner. Wow. So God's holiness What I've been driving Is that God's holiness Is a condemning Doctrine to sinners When we see God's holiness We have the same response In our hearts as Isaiah had Woe is me For God is clean And I am unclean To sinners, God's holiness is damning. We will perish in hell unless we can find some way to be pardoned for our sin and to be accepted by God as righteous. And most people, when they have some sense of God's goodness and some sense of their need, their own need, therefore, for some kind of righteousness, Most people turn to good works. Most people turn to some kind of works righteousness. Or what Paul calls works of the law in Galatians 2.16. But what does Paul say about works of the law in Galatians 2.16? He says that we know, he lays it down as a foundational principle, we know that no one will be justified by works of the law. We know that no person will be justified by works of the law. Works of the law are utterly useless in regard to our justification because of God's holiness. Because our works of the law are imperfect and God is perfect. God is without blemish. And remember, the fact that God is love isn't going to make Him any less holy. Which means that if you're resting your salvation on good works, understanding, at least intellectually or acknowledging at least verbally that God is holy, but you're hoping that though He's holy, Because he's also loving, he's going to look at your imperfect works and accept them. You've got a false hope because God's holiness is not tempered by his love. God's holiness is absolute and unyielding. And so, because God's love will not be expressed in an unholy way, God's love will not look at your imperfect works and justify you on their basis. Your good works, my good works, anyone's good works, Mother Teresa's good works, nobody's good works will be good enough for a holy God on that last day. And so our good works, our works of the law, what Paul said, our works done in obedience to God's law are utterly Useless towards our justification because they are imperfect. Now, someone, someone who's trusting it works might say, well, God knows my heart. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Yes, God does look on the heart, and when He does, He sees that it is a cesspool of wickedness. The passage that such a person is quoting doesn't actually mean what they think it does. God is speaking of David, who was not as tall, not as strong as his brothers. And people thought, well, they should, they should choose the strong and the tall brother to be the king of Israel. And God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God's not talking about justification. That passage is not teaching anything about justification. That passage is teaching that God wanted a man with a certain kind of heart to govern his people Israel at that time and that place. He wasn't looking for a big, strong, tall cake. He was looking for a man with particular heart qualities. And so to quote that in the context of justification is eisegesis at its worst, or or shall we say eisegesis at its finest, reading into the scripture was just not there. Man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart does not mean that a holy God will see your good intentions on the last day and justify you because you meant one. When God looks on the heart even David's heart even David's heart of whom that verse was written what God sees is inadequate to justify a man on the last day. By works of the law Paul says in Galatians 2.16, No one will be justified. Not you, not me, not King David. By works of the law, no one will be justified. The heart, the Bible tells us, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Isaiah 64.6 All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Jesus did not entrust himself to people, John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says, because he knew what was in them. You see, Jesus didn't come to earth to trust sinners. Jesus came to earth to save sinners. Jesus knew what was in man, and he did not trust man. Genesis 6, 5. And I understand that this is God talking about the people living before the flood? God saw that the every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil, continually. But that's true of us today too. God saw that the every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil, continually. Romans 3 tells us, none is righteous. Well, maybe that's a hyperbole. None is righteous. I mean... If you just say, very few are righteous, it doesn't have the same ring to it. So maybe it's a hyperbole. None is righteous. Well, the next clause helps us out here. Is this hyperbole? No, not one. No, not one. No one is righteous. But But God knows the heart. No one seeks for God. When God looks at the heart, he sees unrighteousness, even at the heart level. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead by nature in our trespasses and sins By nature everyone comes out of the womb Dead in trespasses and sins our hearts are not good If somebody says oh, yeah, God is holy, but he knows my heart. I do some things that are wrong But he knows my heart. Yes, he does know your heart and he sees that it's full of wickedness Instead of trusting in our works, we should lift, we should blush to lift our faces to God on the basis of our works. That's what Ezra prays in chapter 9 and verse 6. Oh God, we blush to lift our faces to you because of our iniquities. Objection 2. Someone might say, well, yeah, but that's referring to people who are not Christians. After all, when we become Christians, we get new hearts. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and to make us righteous. When people become Christians, God helps them become good enough for God. After all, Christians have new hearts and the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And so, we will become, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, good enough for God. That He's going to get us there, so that we will become good enough for Him. He's going to help us. Yes, we understand non-Christians can't do it. But Christians, in the power of the Spirit, don't you believe in the Holy Spirit? Don't you believe in regeneration that you get a new heart and a new nature? Because of our new hearts, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling us, God will help us become good enough for God. So that by the time we come to stand before Him, we'll be acceptable in His sight. Well, there are so many problems with that, it's hard to know where to begin. It's like knowing where to start, criticizing the seaworthiness of the Titanic Well, it rests at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. There are so many problems, I don't even know where to start. After 105 years, where do you begin to criticize the seaworthiness of the Titanic? And where do you begin to criticize the seaworthiness of the idea that I just put forward? That God will help you by His grace become good enough for Him in order that He would be able to justify you. Well, let me just respond very simply. This should be pretty straightforward for everyone to follow. Turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 1. And I could read it to you, but I just want to turn there and show it to you. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. So, this is real simple. You're going to be a sinner until you die. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Alright? So I just want you to just put these two simple ideas together. You will be a sinner until you die. And after you die, you're going to be judged. Okay, I just want you to put those two ideas together. Now, let's go back to this objection. By grace, God is going to help you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to make you so new and so righteous that you're going to withstand His judgment. You are going to be a sinner until you die, and then you're going to be judged. You are not, you are not going to to be justified by your works when you die and you stand before a holy God. Because you're gonna be a sinner until you die, and then you're gonna stand before a holy God who will not tolerate the slightest degree of imperfection. And if you are trusting on works, even supposedly spirit-wrought works, and works that flow from a supposedly regenerated heart, Those works will not pass muster. You will not be justified by works of the law. You will not be justified by works of the law. So our works are hopelessly inadequate. I hope I've driven that home clearly enough by now. Your outward works are not perfect, to say the least. That's an understatement but I'm understating it so that everyone can agree. Your outward works are not perfect. Your heart is not perfect. And even with the Holy Spirit's help, even as a born-again person, your heart is not perfect, and neither are your outward works perfect. So at no stage along the line, at no place along the continuum, are your works perfect. But where do we begin? God's holiness. God is morally perfect without blemish. God is holy. You, therefore, cannot stand as an imperfect person with an imperfect heart and imperfect actions before a holy God and expect Him to justify you because of your works. And so we're back to Galatians 2 and verse 16. We know, we know, and after everything I just explained to you, now you know. A person is not justified by works of the law. Our works are hopelessly inadequate. Why am I telling you this? In Canada, there's an advertising campaign against drunk driving. And one of the taglines is this, friends don't let friends drive drunk. And the logic behind that is, if you care about someone, you don't let them do something that is dangerous for them. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Let's borrow that logic and let me say this, friends don't let friends trust in their own works for justification. Friends don't do that. So let me be a friend to you. And say, do not trust in your own goodness, your own works of the law. Do not give me these ridiculous objections that we hear prophets so often. But don't hold any water. Yes, God is holy, but God is also love. Yes, but his love will never be expressed in an unholy way. Yes, but God knows my heart. Yes, God does know your heart and He sees that it is wicked. Yes, but that's referring to people who are not Christians. By God's help, He's helping me become good enough for Him. My spirit-wrong works will be good enough for God. No, they won't. And if you think that, it shows that you do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling you in the first place. You have not been born again because you do not understand the gospel. The gospel is not your works. The gospel is not that you will be justified by works of the law. If you think that, even if you think that works done by the power of God's grace will justify you. Even if you think that works done by the power of God's spirit will justify you. If you think that, you don't understand the gospel, you're not born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit, and those works will not help you. If you think you will be justified by works of the law in any way, shape, or form, you will be damned. You will go to hell because you will stand before a holy God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil, even in the slightest degree. So by works of the law, no one will be justified. And friends, don't let friends think otherwise don't leave here thinking that you're justified by works of the law. don't commit the galatian error and think that you began by hearing with faith but now somehow you're going on and you're standing before god is now somehow based on your works by grace you are saved it is not by your works we know as paul said No one will be justified. No person will be justified by works of the law. And friends don't let friends think otherwise. So don't you go out there thinking otherwise. Let me be a friend to you and say, don't any of you go out there thinking otherwise. But let me encourage us who know this, who believe this, let me encourage us to go be friends to everybody out there and not let them think otherwise. Because friends don't let friends trust in their own works. I was driving in town the other day and I, I don't know the name of the road but I was coming up to Bridge Street and you know the store Sass was on my right hand side across the road there's like a um, I don't know some other kind of department store kind of thing. I was coming up there, I was about to make a left onto Bridge Street, right by uh, Wharf Road there, busy part of town, and I could see so many people walking back and forth, carrying out their business. So many people. And I just reflected on the fact that According to the 2010 census, 75% of people in this island are Christians. Mm. According to the 2010 census. But anybody who knows the truth of what I just said, no one will be justified by works of the law, knows that not 75% of this island are Christians. Among that, 75% are some who are, who have renounced hope in themselves, who have shifted their hope away from themselves toward another, namely Christ Jesus.
1: But so many
0: of those people, so many of those that I saw walking around town that day, are lost, even though they think that they're found. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, even though they think that they are alive. Because they haven't got this into their heart yet. A person will not be justified by works of the law. And God burdened my heart afresh for these people. God's burdened my heart already for the people of Barbados. That's why I'm here. I want this gospel to be clear to ring forth from pulpits all over this island. I'm here to help put my hand to the plow alongside men that are already preaching this. And I'm here to preach it myself. We gotta get this word out to this island that no one will be justified by works of the law.
1: No one.
0: We gotta get this word out to people who think that they are Christians. No one will be justified by works of the law. And we gotta come do it as friends. People who come alongside and care for souls. It's one thing to stand on the corner with a megaphone and yell at people. And hurl insults and condemnation at people. No one will be justified by works of the law. You self-righteous Pharisees, repent of your sins. And the substance of that is true. But what we gotta get into our hearts is that friends don't let friends trust in their own Righteousness. And we gotta have love for the people around us, in our families, in our workplaces, in our spheres of influence, our friendships, and we gotta learn to plead with sinners. (coughs) My friend, my brother, sister, mom, uncle, grand, papa. Don't trust in works of the law. This is not Christianity, this is not the Gospel. Look at Galatians 2.16, I love you. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Please, give up hope, get off that train, because it's going Nowhere. In fact, worse than nowhere is going off the edge of a cliff. Is going right in, straight into a mountainside. It is headed for destruction. By works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm telling you this because I care, and I want us who agree with this. Who see this in scripture to tell others because we care The five solas are not for us to huddle around Man, we got this right We're the reform The five solas are gospel clarity The five solas are just an explication of the biblical gospel and it's the biblical gospel that sinners need And we who have it got to take it to them because as Romans 10 says, how are people going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear it without someone going to preach it? So we've got to get out there and tell people, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Works are inadequate. Which brings me to my last point. And my last point will be short because my last point is simply a segue into the second session. My last point is this, works are inadequate and so we need faith, the necessity of faith. Faith is simply shifting confidence away from ourselves towards someone or something else. That's what faith is, it's trusting someone else or something else instead of ourselves. If our works are inadequate we must look outside of ourselves for pardon from sin and acceptance As righteous in God's sight. We must learn, we must look for what Martin Luther, the reformer called an alien righteousness. Some of us not from around here. We got to look for an alien righteousness, something outside of ourselves. We'll see in the next session that Christ alone ought to be the object of our faith. But for now, it simply needs to be clear that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith. I told you that this these two sessions this morning will basically be like part one and part two. That's the end of part one. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith. We're gonna take a 15 minute intermission, 12 minute intermission. We'll start back here again at 1030. And we're going to look at Christ alone. We're going to see that when we shift our confidence away from our works towards someone or something else,
1: it must be Christ alone.